Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bringing Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and founder of This Is HCD and CEO of ThisIsDoing.com, where we provide live online design and innovation classes, providing training for service designers, design researchers, product managers, user experience designers, content designers, and much, much more. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Melbournean Donna Spencer, a name that should be familiar to many information architects and user experience designers from around the world. Donna has over 20 years experience and has lived and breathed the full design lifecycle many, many times and has seen the strategic design industry evolve. Donna has written three books. Number one, A Practical Guide to Information Architecture. Two, Card Sorting and Rosenfeld Media. And three, Copy for the Web. And as you will learn in this episode, Donna has two more books in the pipes, so she's a busy person. In this episode, myself and Donna speak openly about what an information architect actually does. Something that many of you may already know, but it's interesting to hear from Donna's perspective how information architecture sits within the world of user experience and also how it can benefit anyone in the delivery of services. Information is critical in the current time that we find ourselves in. We speak about what makes IA skill really, really important in an ever-changing world. Now, both myself and Donna spoke about dedicating this episode to the memory of our common friend, Sam Thebridge, who sadly passed away last year. And I've spoken within my circles about dedicating an episode to Sam at some point, who was an ever-present member of the UX design community whilst I lived there. We miss you terribly, Sam. We will always keep you in our thoughts. Let's get into this episode. Donna Spencer, a very warm welcome to Bring in Design Closer. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. I am I'm coming from Dublin at the moment and it's the wettest day on record almost here. It's <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm expecting the window to be pelted with cats and dogs. And and um, I'm coming from Melbourne where the it, it it promised that it would be sunny today, so I made an arrangement to go for a walk and then it blew a gale all day but it must have been warm enough because my backdoor neighbors um all sat on the roof drinking for the afternoon uh, nice well you yeah. know isn't is the crowded house song four seasons in one day um yep. meant to be written about melbourne and the weather yes, totally mm. yeah it's so mm. true I mean, whenever i've gone down there I, I i remember i was doing work in victoria government and i was wearing a short sleeve shirt going into work as i do that sounds really trendy when you say it out loud <laughs> And I, and I had to go and buy a jumper at lunchtime. And true story, I had to go buy a raincoat at the end of the day. <laughs> That's right. Yes, you don't go out of the house without a umbrella and or a coat and a layer. Yeah, and, and a and a gazebo, mm. just to, to shelter you from the, the <laughs> impending sun that comes around noon. But it is a good place to live. The weather's a bit weird, but I like it otherwise. Absolutely. If we were to go back to Australia, Melbourne mm. would probably be the first place we, we would arrive. Not because of the flight path, actually, because <laughs> we want to live there, you know. Yeah, it's a great, great. city. 
absolutely fantastic. You know, yeah. Sydney is still my my got my heart, but I would say my soul is probably closer to Melbourne because it's so like Dublin. It really yeah, is. Yeah, right. Consistent. And I it's... lived in Sydney for a year and I couldn't figure out how to Sydney. I didn't know <laughs> there was there's a verb for Sydney and I never understood yeah. it. How to do it. Mm. It's a pretty bling place. Like I tried my best to go to the gym and eat kale, mm. but uh, <laughs> that was a bad afternoon. Oh, yeah, a bit. So, Donna, like, it's great to have you on. I was chatting to you beforehand about how interested I am in information architecture, but how there's been a gap in some, some of the content within This Is HCD. Oh, yeah. And I, when I reached out to you and I said, hey, Donna, would you come on and, and talk to me about information architecture and the importance of it? Because I think now in the current pandemic that we're in at the moment i think now is the time where information architecture is really needed because there's so much of a desire to get the right content especially in light of the pandemic so yeah i don't know that it's actually different now to any other time there's always hmm. been a need there's always things we need to be sure. able to find and understand Yes, of course, like right now, there's a crazy lot of difficulty in figuring out what we're being told to do, etc. But there's, no matter what, that's always it's happened. It's always been there. It's yeah. Always, maybe it's closer to my own kind of need where I've found it difficult to access content that I need, especially around the coronavirus. It's changing so much and organizations yeah. are, having, are struggling to keep up with that demand. And it's like... Yep how do they do that? Like, I guess it's more in focus, so to say. I know the demand has always been mm. there, but it's been more in focus. This so, is probably a particularly, a, a different time in that advice is changing rapidly. I can't think of many other situations where advice changes so quickly and mm. where the rules around us change so quickly. Like, yeah. you know, we're, we're mask wearing right now, compulsorily not allowed to go out after eight o'clock, yeah. no further than five kilometres. But by on Sunday, there's something else will happen. So yeah, you're you're right in that. There's a moment right now where the advice changes faster than the content can possibly be produced, mm. and there's genuine difficulties in finding information via Google yeah. because of all the kinds of changes to search engine optimization and the. I mean, look, recency is weighted, but sometimes. Sometimes recent information isn't what you need as well. Well, so, what yeah. do you mean? Oh, so, oh well, I, maybe not for this, but I was just thinking like, yeah, right now we do need to be able to find really like the recent most up-to-date advice on this particular issue. Yeah. And finding something that was published two weeks ago that is out-of-date advice is not helpful. But it's hard. But that's not normal. Mm. So I know what information architecture is. But I'm pretty sure if we were to both write them down on paper and compare, we probably might have two different perspectives. I'm yeah. keen to hear how you define information architecture and also how you sell it into organizations. So even my definition, I don't even have a definition really. And that's a, <laughs> it's a completely nutcase thing for an information <laughs> architect not to have a de no. definition. God, how am I going to describe this? I am more likely to listen to what somebody tells me they need to do do and achieve and then talk to them about the kinds of things that we might do with their information and the kinds of ways that I might help them, which may not ever actually involve saying information architecture. And of course, yeah. I have to describe it a bit when I'm you know, writing my own web copy and stuff. Uh, and I think this is kind of interesting around like, why are we not talking about it quite so mm. much anymore? Because I've been in this for probably close to 25 years now. 
And there was a chunk of time when we talked about information architecture a lot. Yeah. But even then, if you go back in time and you're around, that discussion about information architecture was just as much about what we call now kind of strategic design and service design. Yeah. And the what in the middle we called user experience design. So there was always mm. um, the information architects have spent yeah. a large amount of time discussing what it is. The thing that I'm concerned about, though, is that even this idea of thinking about how information might be structured, organised, managed and presented to people in a strategic way and in a structural way where you often need to figure stuff out at you can't just fumble your way across it. This is a kind of thing where you need to think about it up up front. And I feel yeah. that in observing how I see a lot of projects work, I feel that a lot of that thinking has been lost. And I don't know if it's because we're not talking about information architecture. I don't know if it's because it's not being taught mm. or any version of like of underlying structures is being taught or if the nature of a lot of the work we do has become more shallow potentially yeah. and like smaller with more niche apps and less kind of large complex applications. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. I've definitely seen teams shy away from information architecture as a term yeah. and as a thing, like card sorting. I remember bringing it out into an organization locally here and it was like, what's he doing? I was like, is he right. gonna do a Ouija board? It was like <laughs> it was I was like, no, I'm I'm doing a card sort. Like to me, it's one of the most authentic pieces of UX in yeah. terms of actually trying to help understand the current situation and where the information is sitting within an organization. And but, how people think um, about it. Like it's still think. a great technique for understanding how people think about concepts and what goes together and why it goes together. And the mental models. And it, it's yeah. deeply entwined with research. Yeah, And as a research technique, it's often overlooked. It's like people just jump straight into one-on-ones and jump into these yeah. other things. But it's one of those skills that I haven't seen too many UX designers, believe it or not, stating that they can do IA. And I would yeah. be honest, hands up, I'm not. It's something that I don't really say that I'm an information architect. Yes, yeah. I do skills of an information architect, but yep. there's definitely uh, gaps there globally within the mm. UX community. And I think it's maybe it's because UX is suffering from a brand identity. I think that it's, I mean, I've always thought about how teaching happens and what's easy to learn. Mm. The things that are easy to learn are things that you can teach in a quite procedural way. So you can teach people how to do user research. You can say, this is how you do an interview. Go do some interviews. This is how you draw wireframes. Go draw some wireframes. This is how you make a prototype. Go make prototypes. It's harder to teach somebody. This is how to think about relationships amongst complex concepts, which is Mm. really what IA is for. I mean, look, we don't need to worry about this for things that are simple domains and simple like things that we can get our head around easily. It's yeah. when you've got complex concepts and complex relationships and and difficult to understand things, that's hard to teach. So if you're mm. assembling a program for a boot camp, for example, or something like that, and you're thinking, what are we going to teach? Okay, we're going to the teachers are going to default to the things that can be taught in a time period that look like that people w- walk out with having a representation of what that teaching is. 
And yes, you can teach somebody to make a sitemap, but if you don't teach them how to think about content yeah. and complex relationships and modeling mm-hmm. and those harder structural ideas, if you haven't taught them to thought about think about that, then you've got a little basic hierarchy. Yeah. And that's no better than we were doing in 1998. Yeah. So there's a new term that a good friend of mine, Sarah Richards from GDS in the UK, wrote a book called Content Design. And mm-hmm. a lot of the the kind of methods from within the, the discipline of content design echo that of information yeah. architecture. Yeah. So is it an assumption for me to say that content design is the evolution of information architecture? Well, I wouldn't say that those two concepts should be connected together mm-hmm. like that. But what we can say is that content people mm, oh god i hate using role words as well but let's say content designers understanding that content designers do a broad range of things yeah content designers do activities and have skills that in a previous time might have been in a role called information architect yeah so content designers usually excellent at figuring out how to communicate. And a lot of times communicating is about structuring and putting pieces together and figuring out that flow of educating somebody from, you know, a little bit and you figured that out. Now we're going to introduce a bit more and now we're going to introduce a bit more. So content designers do a lot of that kind of work. Mm. I am unsure about whether that kind of role also does things like broad content modeling and identification of chunks and grouping and i suspect it sometimes happens in that role and sometimes it doesn't because we're all different (laughs) and have different skill sets absolutely and everyone's unique and everyone has bulks of experience that brings a different facet to to the discipline we're not defined by our labels Um, but we are and that's a problem (laughs) we are in organizations but from us within the community we're not defined by like no I, i don't present myself really as anything anymore i'm just jerry and i've got experience yeah. in these areas i'm donna um, who's really good at this thing and those things don't seem to be related to this thing like i'm yeah. a really good facilitator and i'm a really good detailed ia and i'm a really good strategic ia as well and those yeah. things are not usually in one head but they're but in this that, weird head isn't it funny that w- we say that now but organizations are still procuring the label so yeah because that's easy. I'm literally working on a project around identifying occupations and the skills that underlie those occupations and figuring out how we can make recommendations to people on things that they might be able to do in the future based on skills they picked up in the past. And it's really crazy good work and it's really interesting. But I keep fighting with myself because roles don't define us. And deep into this concept of being able to recommend potential things that you might do in the future based on what you've done in the past is an enormous assumption about what is done in a role. And I'm like, ah, don't break my head. (laughs) Because sometimes you can take on a role and if you've got experience, you can say when you go in the door, actually, this isn't what you actually need is that over there. And I've got experience in that and I'm going to do that for a while. And then I'm going to come back to this piece because I can't do this without that. Organizations don't tend, it's an assumption here, but they tend not to have that experience of being able to really articulate what they want or need. No, no, it would be really good if instead of thinking, I need a UX designer, people thought, what I need on this team is a person who can talk to the customers and understand what customers want deeply and represent that in a way that the rest of the team can 
make decisions. And it'd also be really good if they could write. Yeah. You know, if we could think about what we need and what gaps exist in a team skill set. I did some work on this last year and the year before when I was setting up a design team around kind of, and I haven't followed it up because I got busy, but I had this really neat matrix of the kinds of things we do in roles and the kind of skills people have. And then I overlaid it with the kinds of projects that you do. And you literally can't hire a UX designer. You need to think about what are the actual things that need to happen on this job and yeah. does this person have that skill set? It's almost as if they need to use design to understand their business. Oh, um, yeah. Current, and current, <laughs> it's almost like you need to use design internally to help them yeah. understand how they're currently delivering products and services, what skills are, are being used to get them to where the gaps are. But that and stuff would be hard and very it's hard. easier to say, I need a kind of role that I have seen other people do or that I've hired for before. Yeah. It's easy to do that. It's easy to write a job ad and it's easy to chat to people. And it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, you'll do. But this yeah. is true for, for lots of the, the disciplines within design research being one mm. where it's like a tick box operation where they're like, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing design. We've got the team. They're sitting over there. They all have beards and glasses and funky clothes <laughs> and some of them are bald. <laughs> It's like there's, there's like I, I, I walk into them and they're, they're all mirrors of the communities, you know, at different stages in their uh, career. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we literally are satirical at this stage. But it, the organizations kind of miss that opportunity to, to really mm. self-evaluate. And yeah. I would have really appreciated at certain points in my career to have one more and better skills in IA as a practitioner. I had to learn through my failings and it would have been better to have information architects as part of the team yes yeah. they just i think it wasn't even on the radar that that was a thing that they needed yeah if you don't know that you're going to be working with usually complex content hmm. and usually that you either have to systematize and that you have to figure out how to make relationships work in a really automated way if you don't know that you're going to do that if you think you're working with i don't know handwritten content or you think you're working with a database of stuff so it doesn't matter yeah. We just don't know that you need that skill of somebody who can really think about content structure and relationships. Yeah. So typically, let's give a, an overview of what, I don't want to say a day in the life of Donna Spencer, um, <laughs> but what, what would it look like? Say uh, an organization brings in Donna Spencer into the organization. Say it's, do we want to talk about a bank? No, because I've never worked like, with a bank. Ooh, okay. Say, say a government organization. We, we've both done government organization. Yeah, work, yeah. And I, I love working ones. in government. And, yeah they're great you know you you walk in and maybe one or two people know what information architecture is and that's critical there's always a kernel in there mm. and as in the k-e-r-n-e-l word a kernel of understanding and th they're like this is donna i'm your champion and off you go well what are the things that you would most <laughs> likely start with so look i would have already had some discussions around what they're trying to achieve before i walk in but yeah. honestly one of the things that i almost always start with is trying to make a model of what their content is and looks like and that will often be me trying to understand it in the first place yeah but understanding what styles of content or data they're working with what the metadata might look like how well it's how well it's structured and then what the relationships are between uh, like between and amongst the different kinds of content. And then also really start thinking about its aboutness. So what is this stuff 
about? And what is that stuff about? And is this thing related to this thing? And once I have a model and an understanding of what we're working with, only then can we start working with it. So, like, there's no way I would walk in and start coming up with, I don't know, any kind of navigation structure or put anything on a page unless, I mean, sometimes I will do this to force an issue and go, okay, well, sure, I'll come up with navigation and I'll make it up and it'll be terrible. And they'll go, no. And I'm like, yeah, told you, we couldn't do this yet. So making that kind of like figuring out the model and the structure and the patterns is really important to me because I'm usually working with something complex. What would that look like? Well, sometimes it looks like a big messy diagram. Sometimes it looks like lots of discussions and lots of poking and prodding. Sometimes it looks like a spreadsheet. It certainly never looks nice. (laughs) I always look at, you know, the start of my projects and I'm like, WTF, what's that about? And it's like, they're more for me. They're not that really for the organization. More for me to get my head around things, visualize the complexity. So I just did a content inventory for a a, a small new client the other day. And I said to them, yes, I will do a content inventory and I'll give it to you. But it's only a working document for me to understand what we've got here. It's not really, it's not really a deliverable. And it's not something you'll do very much with, except for when we do a migration. But it's me. I mean, that's what you have to do as particularly as a consultant is you have to spend an amount of time learning the stuff that other people already know. And they might go, yeah, 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 we all know this. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't. Yeah. And then we find out that they don't either. Yeah. They they say they do, but they don't. That's Mm. what I was going to say. They're like, oh, we didn't really think about it like that. And there's there's real value in just going through that um, exercise, that that pre-piece. But when Mm. you've got that kind of understanding, I'm keen for the listeners to to understand more Mm. around what internet information architecture does and how it complements other sub-disciplines of, say, UX and just the business as a whole? Yeah. There's no common kind of IA project any more than there's a common UX project. Yeah. So, for example, if I were working with a government agency on something like a website or internet that's primarily unstructured advice-style content, Yeah. once we know what we've got, we're then, okay, what are we doing with this? We're trying to help people... Um, find and learn. Mm-hmm. So we might be restructuring the content they already have into something that's easier to find and learn. And that's then, that then for a team involves making sure we understand how people think, where they are on their kind of knowledge journey. Like, do they already know a lot about this? Do they know the jargon? What have they come in with in their heads? Or are they diving into a brand new topic because, oh my God, somebody's gotten an illness that they've never heard of and they need to rapidly pick up their knowledge. So that style of project where we're doing advice and helping people learn is exceptionally different to the kind Mm. of projects I'm doing with the New Zealand government at the moment where we're going, okay, what do skills really look like and how, and of course, this isn't just me, this is with other people and really smart data scientists, but what does that really mean and how can we, what kind of data do we have and what are we working with and how do algorithms work and how can we make automated recommendations on what you've done before? You can hear that those two kinds of projects are really different, but they still both involve understanding, they involve understanding ideas and understanding mm, how we represent those ideas in 
data and metadata and how we make categories that are shortcuts mm. for ideas and what that means. I'll tell you something super interesting about this project. We're using a classification system that isn't our own okay. because we can't make one from scratch. It's like a crazy hard thing to make an occupation classification with a skills base from scratch. So we're using one and it is one of the most biased things I've ever seen. So some of this project and, and some of lots of categorization projects are how do we do this in a way that doesn't have exceptionally large biases that Absolutely. are going to potentially exclude people from services, information? Yeah. And this has been a thread in all of my work, though it's not always an explicit thread, but mm. really keeping an eye on what's the consequence of doing this and what's the consequence of arranging information this way and what's the consequence of putting a database field that says male and female yeah like you know that's not a thing so there's a lot of that kind of stuff in in ia as well of really thinking about how we are going to try to systematize and turn content into data and then use that data to other things and what like what happens out of it and in what ways have we collapsed complexity into simplicity and made a mess of people's lives yeah and that's crazy hard too yeah absolutely so it it, does it work do you think ia for to be really successful works really well with design research and user research as a nucleus as a team to really understand the current state yeah so you really need to understand how people's brains yeah. work and why and how how they've learned and how they think and how culture has affected their expectations so there's certainly that like working with researchers but then there's also there the working with whatever version of data folks you're working with so it might be working with data scientists or working with developers or working with database designers around yeah. bridging yeah, that so that we're not losing humanity and reality in categorizing yeah so it is a real bridge of a job and it's a really strategic thing as well in that you cannot like do it this sprint and then modify it next sprint it kind of just doesn't work like that so the complexity that you see whenever you try and make sense of the the current state the origins of that will have been the organizational behaviors they would have created that content in a dysfunctional way typically Often, um, yeah. Often, so it's as a result of poor team dynamics and poor organizational kind of processes and stuff. Does IA work towards fixing those process changes, or does it typically just focus on the symptoms? No, it can, but you need a person with the skills mm. to also be able to do those process changes, yeah. and that won't be everybody. One of my earliest jobs was as an intranet consultant. And it was it was good. It was a really good job and we did a lot of really good work. But the reason I stopped doing it was that we were drifting into organisational communications and organisational change. And I wasn't mm. good at that. And I didn't think that I should be consulting on it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, no, this isn't where my skill set lies at the time. I'm, I have a lot more skill in that now from working with organizations of all kinds but that's because i've picked it up so yes we need to understand how content gets made looked after maintained structured Mm. and a lot of that will 
relate to how an organisation works, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody, again, in the role of information architect will work on improving that. They just may not have the skills. Yeah. So what does a good information architecture uh, consultant or practitioner look like? What are the skills that they have? Can dive from broad to detail and back again really quickly. Yep. Can hold a lot of detail and examples in their head because you need to be able to explain a concept and then go, okay, so I'm talking about this really, this high level conceptual thing. It's like when we did this and this and this. It's like this kind of job in this kind of skills. Mm. So you need yeah. to be able to dive between the details. You need to be able to listen and learn new stuff exceptionally fast. Yeah. Um, and be able to put together concepts really quickly, which is probably underappreciated. Yeah. I think it's kind of I am I am more and more appreciating just all the weird things that I know that I've picked yeah. up by working in funny kind of industries. <laughs> but all those skills that you've just named are are attributes of successful designers. Yeah. It's it's yep. the ability to go big and go small and hold narratives and build yep. story models and help build trust yeah. and yep they're all and you also have to have a level of detail and you have to be interested in language and concepts and uh that kind of thing as well which isn't isn't all designers um yeah and you do not have to be visual at all donna every time i speak to donna it's like drop the mic donna it's really it's amazing you're writing two new books okay yeah yeah but they're skinny okay they're skinny books yeah i, I like a, a book apart <laughs> Kind of like depths, but but really a book strong. apart skinny. Yeah, like one of them is for a book apart. So oh, okay, great. It sounds really impressive to write two books concurrently. It's only ten thousand words each. You'd have to be Madonna to do that. <laughs> so ten thousand words each. Okay, so t tell us about the first one: is facilitation for design thinking workshops. Where did this come about? This came about because I spent a year as a in a consulting firm last year and yeah. did a lot of facilitation of design thinking workshops. And mm. I knew that I was, I mean, I'm a good natural facilitator. Yeah. I can walk into a room. I always have been able to walk into a room and manage a room well. And I realized that not everybody can do that. And I thought, oh, I should unpick how I do what I do and why I am naturally good at it and turn that into something that other people can benefit from. Nice. And the thing that's come out of me unpicking it is I've realised that actually the skill of a really good facilitator is helping people, and this is what I've been kind of thinking about and talking about lately, helping people in the room, so people who have potentially never done a design thinky thing before, who are often our business mm. people and are like tradies and all kinds of people who don't do design thinking, help them feel like they are absolutely able to contribute at every single step by doing small amounts of skill building all through the workshop so yeah. they never feel like, oh, my God, I can't do that and freeze up. And I think that's something that nobody's – there's some of it in Lego Serious Play method, but I haven't yeah. seen it or heard anybody else talk about it. I thought that was yeah. kind of neat. But it's it's really, it's an important skill of facilitation to make the people who feel that they can contribute actually contribute. And not even, that around. Not, not even get them to the point where they feel like that they can't contribute, like head that off right from the beginning. Yeah. So they walk in and they're like, okay, first thing, oh, I did that. Second thing, I did that too. 
oh, yeah. look, I actually am okay to be here. I can add stuff. Oh, and then they yeah. do. And it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Breaking down so, the barriers. Mm. Set, the second book, you, when you said it to me, I was like, that's a good book. I, w- <laughs> I would buy that. And that's presenting design. Yeah. So this book's also about teaching people how to give good feedback. So it's as much about that as it is about figuring out what the point of presenting is. The point of mm. presenting is not to show off how amazing you are. It's not to get praise. The point of presenting is to show something. And again, it's just, it, this, this, this and the facilitation concept crossover beautifully. It's about showing something to people who aren't in it every day but have a lot to contribute as far as like usually from the subject matter side and helping them learn to listen to you and understand what you're showing and helping them to give you great feedback so that the thing that you're collectively building is great. So it is never about you. It is never about showing off your work. It is about helping. So this is not a critique book. It is not about working within your team. This is presenting Mm -hmm. to stakeholders. And that's all about understanding why you're doing it, telling stories, putting the thing that you're showing into like a day in the life of the person using it, not ever showing like doing what we call a real estate tour, not ever saying there's the logo, there's the navigation, here's a drop down, here are the things in the drop down, there's a filter, there's a mega menu and all the jargon that we talk about. But really like again, bringing the stakeholders on a journey so that they don't feel stupid, so they feel like they can contribute and so they don't say, oh, I think the buttons should be a bit more square. Instead of saying the button should be a bit more square, you want them saying, I understand that I it'll work for these situations. I've just thought about a situation where it probably won't work and I think that'd be worth us diving into in a bit more detail. Okay. And no, we don't get taught this. No, ever, anywhere. we don't. It's very rare in any design degree or any of these kind of academia kind of models that, that I know of that teach how to present design yeah. um, and do it well. We talk a lot amongst ourselves as a profession about listening to users. We do not talk enough amongst ourselves about listening to our stakeholders and respecting the people we work with and acknowledging that they have significant skills that just don't happen to be the same as our skills. Yeah. We just do not do that enough. Yeah. It took me a long time to to understand that myself. (laughs) (laughs) I guess when you work in complex organizations, it's like, you sometimes know the answer months ahead of the organization, but that's not the point. The point is taking them yeah. on the journey to get to the point yeah. and almost just being, oh, I see myself as a facilitator 99% of the time, mm. just bringing groups of people together to, yeah. to get a shared understanding and not to get to my objective, not to no. get to like understand where I am and now I'm right. It's to validate. It's not about you. <laughs> no, absolutely not. The design <laughs> syndrome, it's 101, but too often that's the case. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of designers and design teams have their agenda and they're trying to basically sell that agenda into the organization. It's mm. it's it's not always about that. Like we work for organizations. Yeah. We provide services. Yeah. It isn't actually ever about us. Yeah. As designers. Yeah. There's a great book in that in itself. Yeah, I was uh, the reason I was just hesitating. I was just trying, trying to put my thoughts together there. Mm. I listened to this really good talk by Jeff Patton yesterday morning, our time, and I wouldn't. I, there's no way I could. I can really 
um, repeat the amazingness of it. But what he was really talking about is product design and agile and what does your team actually deliver? And are you delivering a service, not a product? Are you the product? But it made me like it. See, I'm just completely butchering it, but it was amazing. I'm going to need to go back and figure this out myself. Anything that's Jeff Barton. Yeah, we provide services for people. Yeah. And we need to listen to them. Absolutely. And it's not about us. We're not making products ourselves. Sometimes it's knowledge and it's it's the exchange Mm. of knowledge and and facilitation as a skill. But if you have a link to that, I'll throw a link to the Jeff Patton talk into the show notes of your episode. So. Yeah, if, I'll find it or I'll find a summary of where he's talked about it otherwise because it was – I was like, oh, wow, a really good way of thinking, thinking about – I mean, he was talking about development a lot, but it also it absolutely applies to design. Yeah. We're so providing you, a service to people and an organisation and we need to listen to them and respect them more. Absolutely. So where are you at with the two books? The presenting design work is all the words are done. I will never – touch those words again and we're in that last phase of getting it together and getting marketing ready and stuff i'm waiting for somebody to answer me that i asked to write the forward so it's at that point so i'd say i think we're aiming at kind of october there yeah the facilitation book is undefined at the moment just because i mean look personally i would prefer it to come out at a time when this is just selfish where it can land on the world and So this is how it really works. Yeah. It lands yeah. in the world and then I can immediately follow things up with it. And I don't want those follow-ups to be requests yeah. for hundreds of online facilitation workshops because it's not my favourite way of working. Yeah, I understand. I so understand. I'm all right if it lasts, if it waits for a little while. So it's, it's a really good book. The presenting design, I'm sure it is. Presenting design <laughs> is not that far away then. Where, where, no, who's publishing close. it? That's who's a book apart. It? Yeah. Book apart, okay. Yep. So it might be out at the time of this episode. So we'll, oh yeah, we'll maybe you, mm. we might be able to tie it up and do something with that and do it do a, a link to buy the book and so forth. Donna, if people want to reach out to you, how do they go about doing that? This is easy. Google me. Yeah, Donna Spencer <laughs> is pretty easy. Mad yeah. Donna with two A's is pretty easy. I'm on the LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm not on all the other socials very much. And you've got a good website as well. I was on your website last night. My next door neighbour, the visual design for me earlier this year, and he's amazing. Yeah, because really it's not good. my strength. Yeah, no, it was really good. I got the information I needed from it. So, um, I was <laughs> great. Like, she must have hired an information architect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that bit's usually okay. It was like it used to be an ugly piece of work. Oh, um, I'm, I'm and now sure it's, now it's lovely because my neighbour is amazing. That's great. I'll throw a link to all of those into the show notes. But Donna, I, I want to thank you for your time today. It was really good speaking with you. Good talking to you. I don't get to talk to you enough. Yeah, well, let's do it again soon. Yeah. (laughs) So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.